Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Thank you all for joining us today. I am so excited because this week marks our third anniversary of the podcast. And I want to thank all of you who have joined me on this journey and explored this method, explored the child, explored God through the eyes of the child with me for the last three years. I'm really excited because we are going to be starting season three of the podcast with this episode. And we are starting it with a bang. We are going to do a really fun, wonderful series specifically for parents. So whether you are a parent or you want to share these episodes with parents that have their children in the atrium with you, however best you see use of these episodes, I hope that they foster spiritual growth in the domestic church and how our work in catechesis can be applied even outside the atrium. So I'm really excited about this series that we are going to be sharing with you over the next several episodes. I also am excited because we have added a new feature. So if you look in our show notes, I will have a link to a form that we have on our website for podcast listeners' questions. So for season three, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and we want to help answer them, whether I will answer them or some of our podcast guests will help me answer them. So please, if you have a question about this work, about formation, about a child in the atrium, a material, whatever your question is, go check out this form and fill it out so that we can help you find your answers. So today we are kicking off season three with a bang. I got Nicole Cavanaugh to join me on the podcast. She has a huge following on Instagram. She's a Montessori mom. She has five children and she applies the Montessori method in her everyday life with her children at home. And she blogs about it and she shares about it with her Instagram account. She also has a podcast, but she's going to share a lot about that with you guys here in just a minute. But Nicole is going to join us to help us explore how we can take these philosophies of Maria Montessori and of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and apply them outside of the atrium and most especially in our homes. How can we prepare ourselves, the adult, to interact with our children in a way that is respectful and fosters spiritual growth? How can we create an environment that fosters both peace and spirituality in our homes. Nicole does a really beautiful job of helping us understand our role in the everyday bigger picture of the children in our lives' spirituality. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Nicole, to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Thank you for having me. Nicole, would you tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got involved in Montessori, and also CGS? Yes, I am Nicole Kavanaugh. I am the creator of the Montessori Parenting website, The Kavanaugh Report. I also have a podcast called Shelf Help, um, where I get the immense pleasure and privilege of speaking to parents about Montessori parenting and bringing Montessori parenting into your home um, and how we can take the principles of this amazing person, Maria Montessori, and apply them to 2023. And I got started at now it's been 11 years, 11 years ago. <laughs> um, it's, 
It's amazing. Just time goes by so fast. With uh, my oldest child, I have five children, and I was sort of a struggling new parent, and I stumbled into this world of Montessori, and it made so many things click for me and that I've been obsessed mm. ever since. And so over the last uh, 11 years, this has been my life, and it has slowly evolved into my career, and um, that's what I do. About nine years ago, or 10, maybe 10 at this point, nine, 10 years ago, I was encouraged by one of my best friends um, to check out uh, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd at our church. And she said, this is perfect for you. You love Montessori. I'm trained. Come to this training. And I did. And it was incredible. And not only did I deepen my love of Montessori, but deepen my faith. And I have been now a lead catechist in a level one atrium for the last eight years. So that's been uh, my role, just guiding three to six-year-olds to the Good Shepherd. And uh, it's been such an incredible part of my Montessori journey. And just something I look forward to, one of my favorite parts of the week is, is being in the atrium with small people and just watching yeah. the Holy Spirit at work. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's like, it's my time of peace. Whenever I'm in the atrium, it's like, oh, I'm surrounded by 13, three to six year olds. And it's so nice and calm. <laughs> Sometimes. And, yeah. Sometimes you're right. You're right. Depends on what, when in the year we are. Yeah. So you have five children and you have some of them are at home and some of them are in a Montessori school. Is that correct? That's true. Yes. So my oldest is just about 12 and my youngest is almost a year old. And so uh, my three older children who are 12, 8, and 6 are in Montessori schools, both public and private mm -hmm. Montessori, a combo right now because of their ages. And then my two littles who are three and almost one are at home. Uh, and so I get the privilege of being with little people all day. And then um, my bigs get to come home from their Montessori schools and I get to be a Montessori parent. So we're not homeschoolers, but you can still take the principles of Montessori. They go so far beyond just like the strict academics of, yeah. of, of using, you know, you know, the academic materials is, is far less important, I think, in, in a home setting if you're not a homeschooler, right. but you can still be a Montessori parent, which is pretty awesome. Right. Right. I love that. I think that that's pretty much what this episode is all about. It's like, how do we take these Montessori and CGS philosophies and how do we understand that this is beyond the classroom, beyond the atrium? This is more of um, almost a way of breathing with our children. The more that you fully understand um, the heart of it is of what we do, it becomes a way of life. And I love following you on Instagram because you do such a beautiful job of showing all of us how you do that as a way of life with your children. I've learned a lot by watching you, especially because you have multiple age groups. Uh, you know, you're like, you have them in multiple planes of development. And so it really helps to see that like, you can have this one-year-old who's getting into the material that's really designed for the nine-year-old and that's okay. And how does that work? Like I think some, at least for myself, I go into it thinking, no, 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 that's not what's supposed to happen. And, but that's home life, you know, like that's real life. It's real life, completely real life. And it is challenging and it is, you know, the work that I'm called to as a mother and as a Montessori parent specifically. But I think it's important for people to know, like, there's no 
one way that that looks. Um, right. Everybody's family gets to be their family, but we get these principles that kind of can guide us to what I think is a more peaceful and joyful, you know, childhood. And and that's really been just such an incredible gift that Montessori has given me. Um, and that hopefully I can share with the world through, you know, some of those glimpses, because we do have a big, you know, Catholic family. And a lot of the time you don't see these sort of alternative ways of parenting apply to people who do have, you know, children mm-hmm. who are preteens and babies, because that's not necessarily what a lot of families mm-hmm. look like. Um, and so I, I feel really blessed yeah. to be able to share that. Yeah. I feel like um, understanding these philosophies a little bit more has made me a better mom. Like it's made me count my words and it's made me, you know, how we always say, um, you don't, you don't correct unless it's destructive, disruptive or dangerous, you know, like as a mother, like I can think like, okay, this isn't worth correcting or, or the planes of development is huge as a mother mm-hmm. helping me understand that my three-year-old, this is a normal expectation for him or, um, or honestly, then the my seventeen year old who acts just like the three year old. So in a in a, I don't mean that in a behavior way. I mean that in a the way they look at the world way. You know, like mm-hmm. she's in that parallel plane with him, and so it's very normal that she's wrapped up in her own world the same way that the three year old is. And so I don't feel like there is something wrong happening. Montessori and the planes of development helped me know, know that okay, this is normal and this is this will end in a couple years, you know, so I'm so immensely grateful. And so I'm excited to get to talk about it with you. Yeah, I think one of the biggest shocks for me was moving from a child in the first plate of development that is like under six to a child in the second plate of development, when all of a sudden, they're just like, messy. (laughs) They're just so chaotic. And they're Mm -hmm. so they have these thoughts and these ideas. And you're just like, what happened to the little you know, like very organized four-year-old who like had their things and they had their plan. And now it's just like, I've got 22 ideas and (laughs) 14,000 scraps of paper and I'm going to glue them together and make this work. And then I'm going to leave it all on your kitchen floor. And um, (laughs) if I didn't have Montessori, that would be infuriating. And now I can see like, this is God's design. This is how their brains work. This is what they need in this moment. And yes, we're going to guide them to doing, you know, the complete task and and not keeping that work on my kitchen floor. But I don't need to feel personally like, oh, I've done something to like make these children not clean up or, you know, I I need to guide them or correct them into better behavior because I just know this is where their brain is at. And we can meet them where they're at and we can guide them with love and joy and just marvel in this incredible stage in their life where they can have all these amazing ideas and then the energy to act on them, um, even if that's sometimes inconvenient for us as adults. Right. Right. It's been very helpful. And we're not going to have time to get into all the planes of development in this episode. So I'll put some, we did an episode on planes of development like a year ago. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes and it dives into each of them and what to expect and all of that. So how have you been able to create your home in a way that allows for this type of respect for the child in each of these different planes of development that can create like a very peaceful, restful, but also a place 
that meets their developmental needs. How have you been able to do that? It's taken time. It's it is it is the work of me as the prepared adult in our environment to prepare the environment, and so it it is a combination. Marie Montessori defines you know prepared environment as both on one side the physical environment and on one side the spiritual environment. And so the spiritual environment is that relationship, um, the way that we see and interact with the child, and so that has taken a lot of time and a lot of work on the part of me and my husband to shift how we've learned to parent and how we were taught to parent and how society mm-hmm. teaches us and tells us to parent. So there's that aspect of preparing your environment in our home. And that is by far the biggest way that we've um, sort of made space for peace and made space for rest and made space for our children is our own you know, behavior and expectations. And then there's the actual physical environment. And so making changes that allow your children to be a part of the home in a very meaningful and real way, instead of this Mm -hmm. is my home that I now have a baby in, this is Mm -hmm. our whole home. How do we create spaces where my child has access to everything they need without feeling like it's interrupting me. They have to come mm-hmm. to me to get something. They have to um, involve me or get around my things. How can we create a space that works for everyone? And so it it really is about creating accessible spaces. So how can I change easy things in my house to make them accessible? Usually houses have like, let's say your closet bar is really high. Adults, I struggle mm-hmm. as a small adult to reach <laughs> the closet bar, right? And so how can I, instead of expecting that or placing my child's clothing on that bar, um, move it down to a level where they could reach it themselves so that they, when they are cold or when they are ready to go out or whatever it is, can reach it on their own. They can make that decision and use their own autonomy to help with that process because especially young Mm -hmm. children are really driven to do these sort of practical things for themselves. Um, And sometimes the environment can be a really big hindrance to that work. And so it can be as simple as moving like 3M hooks down low. It can be something like adding a children's wardrobe into your space. So what it looks like in you know, practice really depends on on a lot of different things, your space, your budget, your amount of commitment to it, um, you know, your cultural values, all sorts of different things. But the bottom line is, how can we make this space accessible so that our children can act independently? And so mm-hmm. that has looked like adding child-sized furniture in. It has looked like adding things like you know, um, a light switch extender, which is just like a little thing you could add to your light switch so that Mm -hmm. they can turn it on and off without you. Like these little things that you don't necessarily think about um, if you're not wanting your children to independently access your space. And so um, it's been a slow process though. This has not been like one day we're like, oh, I'm Montessori now. And my whole entire house has changed. Uh, It's been something that we've, we've added to and expanded um, over the last, you know, 11 years. Yeah. I think that it, 
tells the child something whenever the house is prepared in that way. Just like the atrium, the children walk in the atrium and they get so excited because they absorb the idea that this is for me because it's all my size. Even though there's all these adults here, this is my size, not their size. And I think when our house is also prepared with this yes environment, this like this is you you have access to almost everything in here and we will say yes to you having access to it. It tells the child you belong here. This mm-hmm. is your space too. Like and just the the confidence that comes with something like that. I just it's it's beautiful to the seeds that you're planting for that. I love the way that you talked about that first the prepared adult. First we have to look at ourselves and I think sometimes, especially with Montessori and CGS, we think, okay, I need to go buy all the things. And then I'm Montessori. Then I'm CGS. And it's actually so backwards. We we first have to look at to ourselves and how do we need to change the way that maybe we're parenting or disciplining or correcting or speaking or um, or maybe it's our own wounds. Maybe it's how we're talking, whatever. There's so many different angles. But um, the way that the core, I think, is the way that we are looking at the children. Are we looking at them as empty vessels or are we looking are we looking at them as other complete human beings, mm-hmm. other complete human beings that are already guided by the Holy Spirit, that are already fully who they are in this moment, this respect? Um, I think that that if that can come first, the rest all just kind of lines up easily after that. Like if I'm looking at my three-year-old as a deserving of respect human being, it makes sense that I'm going to give him options for clothing or it makes sense that um, he's communicating something to me and I am going to listen or observe. Um, All the rest just kind of lines up whenever we can first start with that with ourselves. It does, but that is hard work. <laughs> I, want, it is. I always want to let parents know that, that that's the hard work. It is easy to uh-huh. go on Instagram and say, I really like that, you know, little kitchen that you're using. Um, you can go and buy that. I can send you a link to that, you know, but that <laughs> that's not going to change um, your relationship with your child. It's not going to change yeah. your child's behavior. It's, it is your own mental shift. And, and that takes mm-hmm. years and it is really challenging. And even 11 years later, I'm still, you know, learning and unlearning and, and, and changing and apologizing and, uh, humbling myself before my children, because I don't have all the answers and I'm not always perfect. And, and that is the hard work of, of being a Montessori parent. Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely humbling. I almost wonder if this is why God created the domestic church, if God created the family, because it's almost like having little mirrors all around you (laughs) in order to be like, oh, so I need to work on these things. Instead of it's me, my job to form you, it's all of these little people's job to reflect (laughs) myself back to me. So be like, oh, God, I need to work on these things. Or, you know, like how Montessori talks so much about their absorbent mind. Oh, my gosh, they absorb even our faults. They absorb all of our our wounds and all of our, our, like, you know, it's funny, whenever I think, oh my gosh, I wish that they didn't like yell at their sibling like that. And then I think, oh, well, they got that from me. Mm-hmm. They got that from me. Or I wish they didn't speak like this. And I'm like, oh, well, they got that from me. You know, so it's, it is, it's a lot of work. It's, it's humbling. It's like, oh, it is, it is. Thing. I got a lot of work it, to do. It's very hard 
to see that. And it's also a great reminder of that's, that's where we have to put our energy. Um, and don't get me wrong, the physical environment is important, but there's, there's serious work to do, um, often in just our relationship with our child and, mm-hmm. and with ourself and our, and our, you know, how, how are we giving ourselves grace and modeling that? Because that absorbent mind is absolutely soaking in our own relationship in the way that we, we, we give ourselves that permission to not be perfect. And, and so I I think that's also really important to know, like, none of us are going to get this hundred percent right. And we are teaching our children that it's okay. Um, It's okay to be, you know, regular people and we can Mm -hmm. be, there's, there's no, there's no perfection here and, and that's okay. And, um, and how to deal with that. Yeah. What a beautiful moral lesson that that is too, mm-hmm. that we're, you know, like we're teaching our children um, that we screw up, but that we seek mercy and that our God mm-hmm. is merciful. So one of the best things that my mom taught me was that she would come and ask me forgiveness when mm-hmm. she would get upset or something. And that had a huge impact on me. And there's so much of the mercy of God in that, um, that we, our children also absorb how we react to our imperfections. And then they, they also see, okay, great. So then I don't have to be perfect. I can give myself mercy as well. Yeah. And ask for forgiveness. And that is, yeah. it's so hard to ask for forgiveness, especially if it you've, is. if you've never been apologized to, if, if that's not normalized in your house, how are you expecting your children to turn around and then, and then apologize and ask for forgiveness on their own? Um, because that's where they're learning it. And so it is, mm-hmm. it's humbling, like I said, but it is, it is the big work of being a Montessori parent. It is. It amazes me. Marie Montessori's writings a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. when I feel like child psychology is just now starting to say the things that she said 7,500 <laughs> years ago. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So Nicole, in your house, how would you say that you foster concentration in your children? And I love this because on a spiritual side, concentration leads to prayer. So how in your household are you able to foster that, especially with five kids? I think it is a matter of trusting, especially trusting that God has placed in our children the ability to develop themselves. And so Maria Montessori has really taught us and said, you know, children have within themselves, especially young children, this ability to move through the earth, move through their environment and learn from it. And so often the adults act in love and we want to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. Let's do this. Let's do that. We want to make sure our children are getting this like full range of experiences and mm-hmm. and really, you know, engaging with everything in our house. And we're doing that with our own intentions and our own best, like very best intentions. Um, but every time we do that, we are interrupting the important work that God has placed in their hearts and minds, right? Like we don't know what that is. Um, and that's really frustrating, but our children do. They just know and they're doing that work. And so every single time we are sort of feel called to interrupt them, especially even babies, um, even little, very Mm -hmm. tiny newborns, we are breaking their powers of concentration. We're teaching them subconsciously that 
I need an adult to tell me what I need to do. I can't trust myself to make those decisions. I can't trust what I am choosing to do as being a choice that is important. And so in our house, we really make a very conscious effort from the time our children are born to let them concentrate until they're done. Let them focus on, even from an infant, like a very little baby, if they're staring at the wall, some like shadows playing on the wall, let's wait for five extra seconds until that, until they stop looking at that and they have shifted their attention. Um, and that's hard. That's another hard pattern to get into, just moving at a much slower and intentional pace, especially in a world that doesn't value those things. Um, but it allows them to start to trust and deep, more deeply um, be able to concentrate and give themselves that, that um, inherent ability to focus on what they're doing and to enjoy what they're doing because it is self-driven work. Um, and trust that they will become well-rounded, fully developed people, even without us leading every second of their time, um, mm-hmm. which is it's hard to do. I, when it comes to having like multiple children and a lot of different, it's playing referee. It is, I see that they're working right now. Let's go find something else to do. If, if a little brother is going up to a big brother, um, it is sometimes, you know, letting that child have that extra five minutes and then calling them to dinner because we see that that they're deeply engaged in that work and this is not the time for them to to immediately you know obey and come um, at our exact at our exact time schedule and so mm-hmm. it's, it's really just seeing again that respect that the work that they're doing is really important and I like to think of it as like if I'm working and I'm I'm writing something and someone, my children do this, you know, they, they come in and they're just like, I need this. I need that. I need this. I need that. It's super frustrating. Um, Mm -hmm. and it it becomes very difficult to concentrate on what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. for some reason we don't see our questions and our interactions with our children as doing that same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. when they're playing, Maybe we sit back and watch them play instead of asserting ourselves in that play, instead of saying, oh, what color is that? Oh, what shape is that? Oh, what are you doing with the doll? There are moments where you do want to provide like that rich language conversation, but is that the moment? Is this the moment where we're going to jump in and say, uh, here's a thousand questions that you also need to answer while you're trying to work through whatever it is that you're doing? And so it's it's really becoming in much more intentional in our interactions with our children and then creating a space that allows them to choose activity uh, like we had just mm-hmm. talked about, uh, giving them the time to not be scheduled in a thousand sports, not be scheduled in um, all the things after school, just free play and the time to make decisions for themselves and the time to follow their interests in a very deep way. So that what they're doing um, is captivating for them. And Mm -hmm. especially as they get older, uh, I think it's really important to give that time to, you know, my kid is into the history of, uh, you know, ancient Greece. How am I giving them that time to go after that interest and learn deeply about that interest and explore that interest in different ways? That's not like in between all these other activities that we've we've sort of want them to do. And it's, it's hard to balance. It's a, it's a a habit shift. It's a habit to have to, it's like almost before I interact with my children to pause and ask, do I need to interrupt or do I need to interrupt them right now? 
whether they're being, you know, I feel like I need to correct them or because I'm just curious and wanting to like engage and show them that I'm present. Like pausing and, and checking ourselves. That's the prepared adult again. Mm-hmm. Nicole, what do you do when your children say to you, I don't know what to do. I'm bored. <laughs> I say boredom is great. Boredom is a regular human emotion. <laughs> um, I think as adults and especially those of of the previous generations, especially my generation, we have been taught that boredom is the worst. Um, <laughs> that is the worst possible state that you could be in. You need to be entertained at every moment. Um, and that's not true. It's not true. Boredom is a regular part of human life. It's something that God has placed in our world. That is that is it. Mm-hmm. Where you can be bored. And so it is a shift of saying, oh, I see that you're bored. I wonder what you'll do with that boredom. I wonder what you'll do uh, with your time. What a gift you have to have this time. And um, I can help you sometimes depending on their age and their stage. Like maybe do you need some suggestions? Do you just need your boredom acknowledged? Um, Sometimes they just need to say like, oh, I see that you are bored. Okay. Like it's okay to be bored. And they just need that acknowledged like they would any other feeling. Um, And sometimes it is a signal to me as the prepared adult to look at our environment. Maybe I do need to look, especially in the home environment. Um, do I have work out work, meaning materials or toys or activity ideas that um, are meeting my children's current interests that are challenging them in the way that they need to be challenged. Um, and so it, it, it's a, a time where I'm going to take a few minutes to observe, not in that exact moment, but um, a mental note for me to observe what my children have in their environment and wh- where, where needs are being met. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also sometimes we're bored and that's okay. And it's just really that mm-hmm. shift um, that even if you're not actively engaged in something, that's okay. Especially for young children. I always think, one of the parts of being in the atrium that was difficult is that you're like, oh, you're just around all this amazing work. All you know, I just want you to like, I want you to go back and and repeat the the good shepherd. I want you to go and move those sheep. I want you to like deeply engage in that work. And they're just wandering around, and you're just like, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. And and letting them sit with that as an adult is really mm-hmm. hard. And and mm-hmm. know that giving them the opportunity to sit with that boredom and figure out what they're going to choose next is equally important um, because it's going to allow them to learn how to make those decisions, not just, you know, in this atrium, but throughout life. Um, But especially being in, you know, in a Montessori environment, it's going to give them that tool. And it is a really hard tool to learn if you haven't had that tool before. So if you're new to Montessori or using Montessori in home, you might hear that a lot because so many children are used to being, well, let's color. Let's do Play-Doh now. Let's play blocks now. Let's, you know, it, they're very scheduled um, or we're going to go to the mm-hmm. playground at this time. And I don't care what you're doing because we made the plan that we're going to the playground right now. Um, and when we try to shift away from that. We can hear I'm bored or, or I don't know what to do or I don't know what to pick. Um, and it's hard to sit with that, but it really teaches them some really valuable lessons. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure you've seen this, especially in your own children. I feel like when a child is bored, if they're allowed to be bored, whatever, whenever they finally, even, 
whenever they finally do choose a work, even in the atrium, they really sink into it. It's mm-hmm. it's real. It's almost like when a child tells me they're bored, I get really excited to see what they're going to do when they figure it out. If if yeah. I just let them be bored, I'm like, okay, I wonder what you're going to do with that. And then mm-hmm. you wait the 5, 10, 15 minutes it takes for them to pick something. And then they're there for hours. And it's, yeah. it's really neat. Yeah, Perry Montessori identified something that's called false fatigue, which if you're a parent yeah. and you're hearing that a lot, uh, Google that and and look up false fatigue because it is it's really a fascinating concept that this is just kind of how children's brains work too. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, that they kind of need to be that bored and restful and restless state um, in order to, to deeper go into things. Right, right. And you, you spoke a little bit about the the interrupting that our natural desire to just kind of interject ourselves and it made me think about a quote from Maria Montessori speaks to parents <clears throat> on page 23 she says it is useless for us to probe for the child can no more give an account of the workings of his mind than he can account for his own bodily growth and i think sometimes we ask our children to give a report about what they're doing. Maybe they're in the middle of playing with their doll or building something and we want them to tell us about it, especially depending on the age of the child. But if it's if it's something that they have deeply concentrated on, it's more of an inner workings that is happening. And I love this quote from Maria. Um, they no more can give an account of the workings of his mind than he can account for his own bodily growth. They They can't give an account for what they're doing all the time what's happening. And this is very true for in the atrium. Um, I always try and encourage our parents to not ask the question after Good Shepherd of, so what'd you do in the atrium? Or what'd you do at church school or Good Shepherd today, whatever they call it? Um, Because especially the level one child, but I would say for all three levels, that it's really hard for the child to give an account of the workings of their mind or in the atrium, the workings of their spirit. What happens between them and God in the atrium is very hard to put words to. Um, it's almost like whenever you go on a retreat and you have this spiritual encounter and you come back and people are like, oh, how was it? It's really hard to say anything other than it was amazing because how do we put words to to these spiritual experiences that we have? I love this quote from Maria. Well, and it's so counterintuitive to our broader culture where we feel like we have to be talking to our children at all times to help them learn language. Um and so, it, again, it comes, and Maria Montessori is very clear about this, it comes from a place of love. We love our children deeply, and we want the best for them. And it's really hard for us to understand as parents that sometimes the best means sinking out of the place of you know, the spotlight. We don't need to take the spotlight. Our children need to take the spotlight. They're the ones that have that growing brain. They know and they, they have it within themselves to use this environment to their advantage and to grow mm-hmm. and develop to the to the person that God has intended them to be. God has placed that power within them. You know, they are they are that seed. <laughs> you know, we talk about mm-hmm. the mustard seed and and it's going to grow into this beautiful big tree. They have that. They are that person. And we can sit there and and think about that, you know, in in the abstract, but then when we see our children 
in front of us, that becomes very difficult. We feel like we know best. And uh, she's got another great chapter in this, in this book, um, Mary Montessori Speaks to Parents, you know, let your children keep their secret. Um, and it really is a, a secret. It is a secret what they're doing and what they, um, or let your child keep his secret. It is a secret. We don't know. But the way to know is not through questions. It is not through a direct examination. Uh, once upon a time, I was an attorney. And um, that's what I went to school to learn, right? Like you learn questions, get, get the information, drill it out of them. No, your power as, an, as a parent is going to be best used in your, in your observation. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we can't figure out what our children need. It doesn't mean that we can't provide our children with what they need. But what we're going to do is sit back and watch, watch with curiosity, and then respond in the environment, either through preparing ourselves, which is all this work that we've been talking about, or preparing our physical space. They need something more or they need something less. Something needs to be removed. Let's say a child is really struggling with some boundaries and, and not being, you know, peaceful with the materials is just being destructive. Um, you know, maybe they aren't ready for that material to be removed. Not in this moment are we going to go in, step in and correct them, but we're going to change our environment and say, it seems like they weren't ready for that. Let's take this mm-hmm. out, take a step back and reevaluate from that place of they weren't ready quite yet. Not that they're, um, you know, why are you doing this? Why would, why would you throw that? Why would you do, you know, they don't know. Um, they don't know. They can't articulate that to us. And we just have to trust that, that those seeds and that power is within them. And it was not mm-hmm. um, something we needed to place in them. God has done that for us. And, and uh, we just have to sit back and trust that that, that seed is going to develop and um, we can provide the environment for that seed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it takes observation. We need to just sit and observe our children to, to know what those things are. And I think that silence is also a huge aspect to all of this. Um, it, silence allows for processing both for us and for the child. Like whenever they're going through something or we're going through something, allowing for space, for silence, for us to kind of um, have those few moments to digest what is going on. Um, I think sometimes our probing can interrupt the processing mm-hmm. where silence can allow for almost like a, like we talk about a cycle of work, but almost a mental cycle of work to happen. Um, yeah. That gift of silence, I think is, cannot be spoken about enough. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's important for parents to know that children's brains aren't adult brains, right? Like we, they don't have the same processing speed. They don't have the same interests. They don't have the same, you know, ability to reason or control that you have an adult brain. And that's why it's so important to understand those planes of development, because when you understand that this is my child doing the best that they can with the brain that they have, um, it does make a big difference too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nicole, is there anything that you would say to parents of, who have children in the atrium? Is there anything that you typically tell your parents or anything frequently asked question that you have? I, I think that the biggest takeaway I think I would hope that parents could know is that the atrium is, is a particularly special and beautiful place. And 
we don't want to reproduce that in our homes. That's not what we're mm-hmm. trying to do. Um, that's not, you know, you can parent using the principles of Montessori and the principles that we use in the atrium, but it doesn't mean reproducing the atrium at home. It doesn't mean running out and, and buying yourself a mini altar because your child loves to do the altar work. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of trust in the atrium and trust in the process that this isn't going to be, you know, that situation where you can then ask them like, oh, what did you learn this week? Like what the goal is not memorization of facts um, Mm -hmm, or memorization of rules, uh, especially in the level one atrium. That's just not how it works. And I think the Mm -hmm. best thing you can do to support your children and, and continue their growth is um, just let them be who they, they are at that mm-hmm. phase. And then if you want to take, you know, some of this home, you know, take them to mass and use rich language. You know, this is a look at the chalice, you know, it's not the cup on the, you know, it's, it's look at the patent. And that's hard if you, if you grew up like I did not being um, taught often the language of the church, something that I, I, Honestly, a lot of it I learned in training, um, but reach out and ask or learn about it together. What are those things called? Um, what is that gesture that father is doing? But bring it up in, you know, this is this is the work of the, of the parent, you know, bring it up in mass, give them that language, be excited with them. Um, if you've, mm-hmm. if you've seen that they've been learning about the altar, for example, you know, take a few minutes before mass and go and look at your altar in your church. Uh, you know, we're, sometimes able to do that in the atrium, but sometimes we're not able to do that. So really being excited with your children, you know, sometimes creating a small prayer area at home where they can make Mm -hmm. those choices about what goes in that area and what they're doing, giving them opportunities to make choice at home. Even if it's something simple like, um, do you want a granola bar or an apple for, for snack? giving them that opportunity to to have some autonomy and have some um you know decisions that are are solely in their hands is really important because it's going to help support mm-hmm. their work in the atrium it's going to help them not be so overwhelmed with that choice but also so enamored with that choice because sometimes just oh i'm going to choose all the things because this is the only place that i'm getting to choose stuff um can also interrupt concentration when they they feel like they have to do it all um, because where else are they going to have the power to to make these decisions? So put some of that power back in your children's hands and it can be in really small ways or it can be in really big ways. You can, you know, you can rearrange your whole entire house to be a Montessori parent, but you can also just rearrange your own behavior towards your children. You could also choose one, mm. one part of their, their, their routine to give them more autonomy. It doesn't have to be all or nothing right away. Um, right. But that's the work that's going to support them being able to open up as much as, as you know, they're called to by that Holy Spirit in the atrium when they can sort of let some of those other things go um, and really be their authentic selves in that space. And that's, that's such a gift that you can give your children. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. I love allowing for an opportunity for choices. I think that goes back to the whole respecting the full human being that's in front of us, that they have opinions about what they want to eat, what they want to wear, what they want to do. 
and <clears throat> respecting that person. I think another big part of fostering spiritual growth as parents that we don't talk about enough, and this goes back to what you and I were talking about at the very beginning, is it first starts with us. Um, and not in like a fake way I want to model prayer so that my children pray, but actually have an authentic prayer life or an authentic interest in our faith, authentic interest in what is that called. I want to learn more and um, an authentic seeing God and all the gifts and beauty that surround us. Like actually fostering that in your own self, it will naturally be absorbed by our children if it is authentic. Yeah, um, it absolutely will be. And, and just opening up you know, don't hide away when you're praying, you know, invite them to those times where you are, you know, let them see you reading the Bible, let them see you um, pray, you know, praying the rosary, let them, there's a lot of like, maybe forcing, like, we're all going to do this right now, right? Like, just be around (laughs) them. Um, You know, like, that, sometimes when you have an older child, you know, there's, I'm, I'm talking specifically as under six, especially, let them just be around you. Their absorbent mind is soaking it in. And as mm-hmm. they get older, we can really start to set some more, you know, different boundaries and different expectations around behavior. Um, you know, don't be afraid to take your child to mass because they're going to move around. That's what God is calling them to do. Yeah. Um, let them be children. Yeah. Let them be small children. And culturally, I think we could use some shifts in that area. We, we just yes. have children who were made by God to move and to be loud and to ask questions, be curious with them. Don't be embarrassed by that. That is, that is who Mm -hmm. they are. And that is, that's the stage that God has, has made them for very important reasons um, to be in. And so give them that opportunity and, and joyfully sit with that opportunity and be authentic with them. And also open meaningful ways for your children to participate. Let them light a candle in your home. Let them snuff the candles. You know, we just are coming out of the Advent season right now. And at one point we had, you know, like eight or 10 candles on our table, eight or 10 candles. It's just like, okay, you know, and it's like my little three-year-old sat there and happily, you know, snuffed all, you know, every single Advent candle and, every single, every single one of our, you know, candles that we light these days and giving them that meaningful opportunity. This is why we're doing it. But like, you're also a person that does this because you're a full person of God in our family. That's also able to offer that prayer to, to, to God. And we want your contribution and your contribution is valuable here. And I think just taking those principles home and really just giving them that, that opportunity to do some meaningful prayer um, mm-hmm. that may not necessarily look like sitting still and, and mm-hmm. praying Hail Marys. You know, it, it is, it's different for children because children are different than adults. And uh, I think that's a really important yeah. and valuable lesson for, for every parent to, to learn. Yeah. For all adults in our faith, it's a mind shift. We have to expect children to act like children, not little adults. Jesus said, let the children come to me, not the Mm -hmm. little people, little adults. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. He he wants them to be fully children, which means wiggly and a little bit louder and a little bit more excited and joyful and all of the beauty that comes with being a child. And so we have to let them be children. I love that. Mm -hmm. Nicole, this is so great. There we I feel like we've barely skimmed the surface of 
what we can be as parents to these beautiful children. But I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Would you share with everybody where they can find you to learn more? Sure. You can find me on my website called The Kavanaugh Report, or um, you can find me on Instagram at NickCav25. Or um, I have a podcast where I talk all about Montessori parenting called Shelf Help. Great. Thank you so Um, much, Nicole. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. It really has. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd in the Child podcast. Check out the show notes because I've got a lot of goodies there for you. I have links to Nicole's webpage and her podcast as well as her Instagram handle. I also would like to point y'all towards two episodes that we had in the past. So episode 49 is the one where Claire Paglia joins us to talk about the four planes of development. I, just like I said in the podcast episode, this is so helpful to understand Montessori's philosophy of the four planes of development. So if you have a seven-year-old in your life or a 12-year-old in your life or a 20-year-old in your life, a one-year-old in your life, to understand a little bit more of their characteristics and potential and also their spiritual potential as well. And the four planes of development really help understand that. So check out that episode. I'm also linking episode 20, where my friend Jacqueline Rooley joined us on the podcast to talk about how she lived out the domestic church. If you would like to get the book, Maria Montessori Speaks to Parents, this is a very simple, simple book. It is a collection of her articles that she wrote specifically towards parents. And I put a link for you to purchase that through AMI. This is a really neat book. I love this book. And so I highly recommend it. And Nicole actually does a book study with this book a couple times a year. So if you get on her newsletter, you could probably find out the next time that she will be doing the book study. And if I'm able to catch it, I will let y'all know on the podcast as well. So I highly recommend that. So one of our core texts in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is the book The Religious Potential of the Child by Sophia Cavaletti, one of our founders of this work. And you can get a physical copy in our store, but we also have the audio version available. So in our show notes, I have a link for the instructions on how to get it because it's through a Podbeam premium podcast channel for you to access the audio version of The Religious Potential of the Child. So if you're like me and you much prefer to listen to things, especially as you're driving or walking or whatever you're doing, then this is a great option for you. I'm also going to put a link in our show notes for the book, The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. This book is the book that we usually use for parents, is the starter book. You as a parent, if you are wanting to pick up a book that is easy but also teaches you the heart of what we do in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, this is the book that I highly recommend. The Good Shepherd and the Child, A Joyful Journey. This one is for the zero to six-year-old. If you are interested in the six to 12-year-old, we have the book Life in the Vine, The Joyful Journey Continues. So I will put a link to both of those books for you to purchase from our store in the show notes if you're interested. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So we would like to thank all our contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. 
Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks with another episode in our parent series. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.